Well, all right. It's good to have you with us here this morning. We are starting a new series today. Like Bryce said, we're going to be spending the summer going through the Gospel of Mark. So let me just give you a real quick synopsis about Mark and a little background about it. Uh, The Gospel of Mark was written by John Mark, and it was probably written around 67 to 70 AD, somewhere in that time frame. And it was written to the Roman world and the world at large. And and, uh, Mark wrote it with Gentiles in mind. See, Mark's readers, they're not very familiar with Jewish terms and customs. And we know this because Mark constantly explains them over and over again in his gospel. But they are familiar with Christian history and Christian terms because he never explains them in his gospel. And his gospel is, it's a kind of a facts-only eyewitness report. And for the most part, Mark reports Jesus' life as it was with little interpretation. But his purpose is really clear. Mark's purpose for the gospel is really clear. He wants to show the world that Jesus is unquestionably the Son of God. And he starts his gospel by saying exactly that. He says this is the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Mark doesn't put anything about the birth of Jesus in there. He doesn't have any genealogies because they're not important to the Gentiles like they are to the Jews. And so Mark jumps in right at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. And that's where we're going to start today. We're going to start with the baptism of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse number 9. Mark 1, verse 9, and it said this, One day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. And as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my dearly loved son and you bring me great joy. So this is the beginning of Jesus's public ministry. From this point on, everything in Jesus's life changes dramatically. I mean, there are no more days spent in the shop as a carpenter. There are no more days being anonymous Because things begin to ramp up at a very fast pace as God on earth is revealed to mankind. And so at the beginning of it all, this significant event takes place. This mile marker moment as Jesus is baptized. And I think it's very significant that Jesus chooses baptism to kick off his ministry. But some people might ask, but why baptism? See, sometimes I think we might wonder, why did Jesus ordain the act of baptism? Why is there this thing called baptism? If salvation is by grace through faith, then why institute a required ritual or symbol to act out that faith? Well, I don't know that the Bible specifically answers that question, but it does point to a number of different reasons. I do know that baptism has its root in Judaism. See, the law of Moses required washings on the part of priests following certain sacrifices and on certain individuals who were unclean because of an infectious disease. And although the term baptism isn't used to describe that ritual, the purification rites in Jewish laws and tradition have similarity to baptism and have been linked. There are some things in the Jewish Bible and other Jewish texts that talk about immersion in water for ritual purification, which was required before you could participate in certain religious activities. And they would do this in a mikvah. And here's a picture of one. We saw these when we were in Jerusalem. It's a really cool thing. Basically, you walk down the left side. There's steps that lead down into this little area that's filled. There's no water in it now, but it was filled with water. So you would walk down the left side. You'd go into the water, immerse yourself, and then walk up out on the right side. And so Jews, for example, who were 
ritually defiled by a contact with a corpse had to use a mikvah before they were allowed to participate in the holy temple. So immersion in the mikvah represented a change in status in regards to their purification, their restoration, and their qualification for religious participation. So in essence, Jesus is following that law, the law of Moses, just as any high priest would before they entered into their ministry. And even though Jesus was not unclean, he had no need to be cleaned, he still chooses to submit to baptism to initiate his ministry. And see, the Jews at the time of Jesus' baptism would have understood the significance of what he was doing. Because even before Jesus is baptized, John the Baptist had been calling people to repentance and baptizing them. Again, not that Jesus needed to repent of his sins. He was sinless. And John knew this. In Matthew's account, John doesn't even want to baptize Jesus. He tries to talk him out of it. He says, I'm the one who needs to be baptized by you. Why are you coming to me? Because John knew that his baptism for repentance from sin was totally inappropriate for Jesus. Because John acknowledges Jesus as the Christ. In, uh, in the Gospel of John, in this account, John the Baptist calls Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So why should one who takes away sin submit himself to a ceremony that represents confession and repentance of sin? Well, Jesus himself explains to John his reason for wanting to be baptized. He says, it should be done, for we must carry out all that God requires. And so John agrees to baptize him. See, Jesus was baptized primarily to fulfill all that God required. And his baptism is a symbol of those requirements. And so I want to look at three things that Jesus' baptism symbolized and look at how it parallels in our lives. And hopefully this will answer the why of baptism. Why did Jesus do it and why does he command us to do it? So let's look at the first symbol. And it's baptism is a symbol of identity. See, Jesus came into this world to identify with men. And to identify with men is to be identified with their sin. Hundreds of years before Christ came, Isaiah declared that the Messiah would be counted among the rebels. He said this, I give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. And he bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. Jesus' baptism represents the willing identification of the sinless Son of God with the sinful people he came to save. This was his first act of ministry, his first, rede- his first step in the redemptive plan that he came to fulfill. He who had no sin took his place among those who had no righteousness. He who was without sin submitted to baptism for sinners. And in this act, the Savior of the world took his place among the sinners of the world. Now the parallel for us is that when we accept Christ as our Lord and Savior, we identify with him. Our baptism is a symbol of that, declaring that we belong to Christ and Christ alone. Why does a bride take the last name of their husband? The tradition comes from the verse in Genesis that says, the two will become one. And since God ordained men as leaders of the household, the bride traditionally assumes the groom's last name. And marriage is another powerful symbol of our relationship with Jesus. The church is called the bride of Christ. We're called Christians. Why are we called Christians? Because that's our identity. It's who we belong to. 
And baptism is a symbol of that as well. I mean, think about it. Your decision to marry somebody is a huge one in your life because you're making a lifelong commitment to be with that person through the good and the bad. And in a marriage ceremony, what do we do? We gather all of our friends and family together to witness the proclamation of our love to our spouse-to-be. And in turn, we are asking our friends and family to hold us accountable to that promise of love. The same thing goes when we follow Christ. It's a huge decision to follow Jesus Christ because you're committing to following him for the rest of your life. You're giving your whole life to him, and that's a serious matter. And baptism is a picture of that wedding ceremony. See, you're all gathered here today to witness these people who are going to be baptized later as they proclaim their love and commitment to Christ in front of their friends and their family, asking you to pray for them and help hold them accountable to Christ. Because what they're saying to the world is, I represent Jesus Christ. I'm his and he's mine. Now Paul says it this way. He says, you are sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. And these people that are being baptized, because they're being baptized, what they're saying is not only do I represent Christ, but I'm representing each one of you as well because I'm a part of this family, this TBA family of Christians. And as family, we have responsibilities to each other. For them, it's to follow Christ the best that they can. For us, it's to pray for them and help them walk that walk with Jesus the best that we can. So it's identity. Baptism is a picture of who we belong to. Not only is it identity, but it also represents death and resurrection. Jesus was symbolically predicting what he was going to do for us on the cross. See, he was going to fulfill every law of God for man because we could not remain sinless. And he was going to pay the penalty for man's sin. And that penalty was death. So his immersion is a symbol of his coming immersion into death. And his rising out of the water is a symbol of his coming resurrection. And the same symbolism holds true for us in baptism. Going in under the water represents our death. Death to the way that we used to live. Death to our own sinful life. And coming out symbolizes our resurrection as we become a new creation. Paul says this in Romans. He says, have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death? For we died and were buried with Christ by baptism. And just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glorious power of the Father, now we also may live new lives. See, what Paul is saying here is that by faith, When I accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it means that there's this inseparable, indivisible unity with Jesus. I'm in an ongoing, constant, shared life with him. I possess the life of God. Christ dwells in me, and I've been literally immersed into Christ. And that that means being immersed in his death as well. See, I wouldn't have this relationship with him if I hadn't died in him, in the sense that all my sins died when he died, because he was carrying all my sins. Therefore, my old life dies with him. And I'm free from that old sinful life that I used to live. As Paul continues, he says, since we have been united with him in his death, we will also be raised to life as he was. We know that our old sinful lives were crucified with Christ so that sin might lose its power in our lives. We are no longer slaves to sin, for when we died with Christ, we were set free from the power of sin. 
So it's a physical illustration. It's a physical symbol, a physical ceremony intended to depict this reality that whenever a person goes into the water, it symbolizes death to the old life. And when they come out, it symbolizes that they are new creations. Now that's what baptism symbolizes. It's not what it does. Baptism isn't salvation. And let me be really clear here. I want you to understand you are not saved by baptism. The Bible makes that very clear. That it is only in faith in Jesus and only in faith alone, accepting his sacrifice for the payment of our sins, that's what justifies us before God. It's his grace that saves us, not any other act, not anything that we can do on our own. Paul says in Ephesians, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for it. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we've done, so nobody can boast about it. See, it doesn't save you. You can go through all the water that you want, and you're not going to be saved. Now, you can be saved and not be baptized, but you're in a condition of disobedience, and we're going to get to that in just a minute. But baptism doesn't save. Baptism is just a picture of what salvation has already completed inside of you. Baptism produces nothing but blessing. Nothing but the joy and reward of being obedient. Nothing but the affirmation of God to an obedient child. It doesn't save you. It doesn't make you holier than somebody else. It just brings you the blessing of obedience. Which brings us to our last point. And that's baptism is a symbol of obedience. See, Jesus didn't need to be baptized. He wasn't unclean and therefore he didn't need to go through a cleansing ritual. He wasn't sinful And therefore, he didn't need to declare repentance through baptism. But he did it anyways, because God required it of him. And for God's plan to be perfectly fulfilled, it was necessary for Jesus to be baptized. And that's why we do it. Honestly, that's why we do it. Because our Lord and Savior taught us by example, and he commanded us to do the same. In Matthew 28, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so we look at baptism as our first step of obedience to Christ, the step of obedience that is going to be a life of obedience to him. Now, sadly, though, the number of unbaptized Christians is increasing. And we have a largely unbaptized church. And I don't mean this church. I mean the church in general. And it's amazing how many people who proclaim Christ and confess Christ have never been baptized. There are probably some of you here this morning who have confessed Christ and have never been baptized. And maybe I shouldn't say this, but did you ever think that a failure to be obedient in the matter of baptism, to take baptism seriously, is the root of some of the immense problems that we have in our lives and in the church in general? Because it allows the church to fill up with unfaithful people who, who won't even be faithful to the simplest of commands of the Lord and his word. And I think that's serious. And to be honest, I don't understand. I don't understand the lack of obedience in this area. Because when I think about all the things that Jesus asked me to do, this one is the easiest in my opinion. Because all the rest of it has to do with sorting out the stuff that's in my mind and my heart. And for the most part, this part of obedience is easy. 
Because when it's obediently done, it demonstrates a heart that seeks to honor the word of the Lord. So the only thing I can figure is a few possible reasons as to why a person wouldn't get baptized. One is that they haven't been taught. They don't understand its significance. I hope we've shed some light on that today. But listen, we offer a baptism class before every baptism service that we do. So if you haven't been taught what baptism is, I recommend that you attend that class. You can check that on your connection card if you're interested and sign up for the next class. The second thing is that I think pride is an issue. I mean, people who have allowed a long period of time to go since their conversion, they're involved in the church, they're known as Christian people, and they've never been baptized. And so it's a little bit embarrassing to acknowledge that failure and disobedience for such a long time. And so they're not willing to humble themselves and admit they've been disobedient and get baptized. So it could be that you're not taught. It could be pride. It could be indifference. See, there are plenty of people who just don't want to be bothered. It doesn't fit into their schedule. It's not a priority They know it's commanded in the Bible, but obedience isn't a thing with them. They have other priorities. And that's a sad situation to be in, to be apathetic towards a specific command that God gives us, to be indifferent towards a very direct command from our Lord himself. Fourthly, there could be people that are just defiant. Those who basically aren't baptized because they're rebellious. They just refuse to obey. The only thing I can say about that is if that is where you're at, be really, really careful. It's dangerous. It's dangerous to be openly defiant towards God. The last reason I can think of is that you really haven't accepted Christ. You have no desire to make a public confession of faith in Jesus Christ because you don't want to be identified with him in a public way. Oh, you might come here every Sunday and hang out on the edges and the fringes, but you're not about to take that next step with Jesus and accept him as Lord and Savior. And if that's where you're at, man, listen to me. I want to talk to you about it. I do. I want to desperately explain why you need Jesus Christ. Because you don't need to leave this place wondering where you're going to spend eternity. And so if that's where you're at, listen, we'll be at Next Steps. There'll be people there that'll be happy to talk to you after the service about what it means to follow Jesus Christ. So those are the only reasons I can think of. Either you haven't been taught, you're too proud, you're apathetic, indifferent, defiant, or you're not a believer. See, baptism is a command. And Jesus said, how can you say, Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my commandments. So as the band comes up, I want to leave you with this. Baptism is a symbol of our faith. It's an expression of faith done physically with our whole body. So why did Jesus do it? Why does he command all of his people to do it? Because it represents who he is. And it represents who we belong to. See, you're not the master and director of your life. You were bought with a price. A price beyond measure. A cost that we can't even begin to understand. Every precious drop of blood that was spilled on the cross was done out of an immense love for you. And when I sit and contemplate the unbelievable sacrifice of Jesus and the depth of his love for me and the pain and the suffering that he endured for me and for my sins, then baptism takes on a whole new meaning for me because it isn't a question of should I get baptized or why won't I get baptized. Now it becomes a question of how soon can I get baptized. So my prayer for you is that if you haven't been baptized 
and you call Jesus Savior, that you will follow his example in obedience and proclaim to the world that you belong to him, mind, body, and soul, because we as a family will celebrate with you. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the example that Jesus set for us in obedience to baptism, Lord, because he didn't need to be baptized, but yet you required it of him, and he was obedient to follow. And so, Lord, my prayer for this church, for us, Lord, is we will be obedient in whatever area of life you call us to. If it's baptism, we'll happily do that. If it's serving, we'll happily do that. Whatever it is, Lord, help us to be an obedient church and to follow your commands. We love you, and it's in the name of Jesus we pray.